When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. (laughs) Alex, it's so lovely to finally connect. I do love the conversations that it takes like a bit of a stop, start, stop, start, (laughs) and then we finally get in the booth. Um, And I'm really excited to hear about your last drink and when your last drink was exactly. Yeah, so it was exactly three years ago today um as a funny coincidence uh so yeah three years ago there are no coincidences mate (laughs) we should say as fate dictated that today i'll be speaking to you um so isn't that what i love that that's so cool so three years on the dot today and i know it's three years because it was three years ago was the rugby world cup uh final which england uh faced south africa in in japan and we lost which went down terribly here, but probably went down better in Australia, I would imagine, um, as losses go. Because it was in Japan, it was like an early, early kickoff with the time difference in London. So even in the build-up to the final, it had been like a series of like heavy drinking sessions for from starting at like 8 in the morning um, as England progressed through, which yeah. I was partaking in, and then the actual final. And that's pretty standard practice, right, just to normalise mm-hmm. that for people who have been there and done that like that is kind of the thing like you weren't doing that alone that was with a group of people who you were enjoying sport with which is a really common denominator with drinking definitely and I also say that there's almost a novelty element to the fact that you get to drink in the morning sort of like that airport like like the the fact that you've normalized drinking at an airport so you can have a pint at like nine in the morning the fact that there's an excuse to do it in the in the morning because you're watching rugby is kind of justified which has a sort of like exciting quality to it as a result I'd say Mm. um so yeah we on the actual final day it started it was i don't know what the exact thing i drank last was it was probably beer but it was a part of like a 20 hour drinking session because we started at eight in the morning to watch the rugby and then things with sport you either drink to celebrate or you drink to commiserate and so regardless of what happens at the result you're drinking um and we lost so it was more of a commiseration but it ended up being a 20 hour session from 8 a.m till 6 a.m the following day it was one of them ones where I was watching it with the rugby club, which is an old boys from my school. So it was several guys several years above me, guys several years below me, big crowd. And mm. I went from like pub to pub to pub to house party to pub and then kept on going. And the morning after I just woke up, it's an easy decision to make when I felt so rough from the night before. And I'd taken lots of breaks mm. before, but I was like, this is probably going to be the last time I drink ever not just because of the physical suffering, but also I had a lot of anxiety about how many people I'd seen that I know. And even though, like you say, Mm. it's normalised within the context of a rugby club, it still was something which I was just, I had huge kind of blackout periods during that time where I don't know what was happening. And so, yeah, that was when I made the decision probably a couple of days after properly to say I won't drink again after this. 
You make a really great point, Alex. It is easy to say I'm never drinking again after you've had a 20-hour bender. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I, I I, was there several times before. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, right? So what was the difference, okay? Because we've all had big nights and woken up the next morning feeling like crap, going, I'm not going to drink. And usually for me it was like, okay, I'm not going to drink today. Yeah. And then by 1 o'clock that day I would be at a pub drinking beer with my friends. Like what? So what was the difference? Can you pinpoint what it was that really shifted you into action mode where it wasn't just I'm not drinking again because I feel like crap? You said the anxiety was one thing, but were there other things surrounding that concept of like, I really can't do this again. Like I really am done. I think that that year had been a lot of, because I had a, my specific thing was binge drinking anyway. So it wasn't, it wasn't every day, but when it was, when it happened, it was like a huge, it was a, a huge blowout every time. And my drinking that year had got to a point where it was like the, the blowouts were getting heavier, but they were becoming almost less frequent but probably let's say I can recall 12 times that year where it was really full on and there was, and it was just getting quite more, more intense, I suppose. So I wouldn't necessarily, and also I'd, I'd done, like you're saying there, I'd taken, I'd done dry Januaries before and I'd taken months off at a time simply because of the fact that I realized that if I left the door to drinking like a jar, even just a little bit, I would kick it in at some point with some kind of huge night out. So it was just, it was easier for me to say, actually, I'm not going to drink at all anymore than it was to say that I'll develop a more responsible relationship with it. And I think that's what I kind of clicked at that point was like, oh, it's actually going to be easier for me just to stop doing this thing entirely than it is to continue yeah. to do it uh, every so often. And it sort of just weigh me down with every time that I do, if that makes sense. Yeah, because it it's a heavy load when... I think when you realise you can't moderate, you've tried dry Januaries, you know, and you end up back binging. Like when you, like you say, you abstain for a little while and then like you don't just walk through the front door of binge drinking. You like kick yeah, it down and burn the 100%. house down. You know, like you that that becomes that common pattern of behaviour. So it becomes this load of like I'm not drinking, I'm not drinking, I'm not drinking, I'm not drinking, I'm not drinking. <laughs> and then you go, oh, it's all too hard. And so I'll just have a drink and then you flip the lid and it, you just go bananas again. And that, that I think can just weigh on you in general. So so you have this like I'm guessing epic hangover mm. and after the – and your team's lost, so yeah, dire straits. Yeah. Um, you've got all these mates that you drink with. So what was, I guess, that first step? Like getting, your, getting yourself on board with the idea is definitely always – helpful to go I'm not going to drink yeah. again but then what did you do to safeguard that decision moving forward to make sure you didn't slip back into the old pattern of behavior that's a great question I am very lucky that I have a very strong support network in terms of family and partner and all of that stuff so that's the first thing that I was very lucky to have that in that and, that, and I also think that because I'm because I'd had all this pattern before firstly in terms of my when I would drink and I would act out whatever that might be whether it's like getting in a fight or just generally being um, a bit obtuse or just being just bad behavior let's say as an umbrella um 
it wasn't a it wasn't a surprise I think to a lot of people and whether or not they believed it would be forever is is by the by I think they were still supportive of it regardless um so that was very lucky in that regard with my certainly with my immediate circle with that um they they were fine with it but my friends was a was a, probably a bit more of a now they're extremely supportive and I think within my groups um of socializing it's is a very normalized what well, even my bad behavior in that was very normalized um because we are all we all drink quite heavily so it's all i don't think that there ever would have been any repercussions for what i do among my good mates because even if i got in a fight with them mm. we're used to that type of behavior sometimes where we might act out because if you drink 10 pints that kind of happens um not to everybody mm. actually i should say but it does it, it has a higher propensity to so I think that they, some of them just didn't understand it necessarily because they don't have that issue. Um, but this is the problem with the UK sometimes is that when you have a, when alcohol is so, is such a part of every situation you're in, whether every social occasion, every work occasion, every like family occasion, even if you're not celebrating something, it's just there to experience. It can be hard for some people to recognize that you don't, you can opt out of it. And it isn't for everybody also. We assume that it's probably for yeah. everyone because it is everywhere, but that's not true, I think. And there's a lot of people who probably don't realise that it's not for them or don't realise that they've they just kind of slept walked into this situation where they drink it all the time, even if it doesn't suit them, simply because it's the, the odds are stacked against them any other way. You can't help it. It is everywhere you go. Mm. And with that in mind, I was probably one of those people that shouldn't, wasn't wired for drinking naturally that's a great way of explaining it and I love that turn of phrase you're not wired to be a drinker but you didn't realize that when you started drinking but it would be like if I told you when you were a teenager that you had a peanut allergy and then you went out with all of your mates and they were like have some peanut butter Alex you'd go no I've got a peanut allergy I can't yeah I'm anaphylactic, yeah. mate. Like this is not going to end well, yeah. right? And it's like we need we need doctor's permission slips in a way for drinking behaviour because it sounds to me like you had, it's like a level of reaction that could be quantified as an allergy to alcohol because sure. when you drank enough, you had a reaction that changed your personality, that made you a little bit biffy, that turned you into a bit of a smart ass. And, and I'm not... In, I'm the same. Yeah. I didn't get punchy, but like I, you know, my behavior changed, changed, and it was not a positive change yes, that's <laughs> at all. And so, you know, I love. I want to almost dig deeper into that to to encourage people. Like, drinking might not be for you, and that's okay. And we need to normalize people getting to that point where they go, "I'm having this reaction every time I drink. It's turning me into an idiot." Mm. I'm making poor choices and I'm behaving badly. Take the alcohol out and you're a straight up normal, what appears to be lovely guy <laughs> that I can talk to, yeah. you know? And so that's just an interesting point. And I, and I, I appreciate you being able to articulate that for other people listening that are like, oh, yeah, that's, that's me cool. too. No, I, I think the other thing on that is that it's, it isn't to say that like every night was like that either. And I think sometimes when you listen to – a lot of the chat around alcohol generally, it can almost be disingenuous. Like I've had some of the best nights of my life with my mates when I was drunk. 
with, with them and there were no problems whatsoever. It was, and so that's also where I think they come at it from that angle because it's, I, I know that it's not going to be the same in some elements. Like it isn't going to be the same. That's okay. Cause it's okay to miss something that and not want to go back to it. You, those two things can exist together. It's just sometimes quite hard to reconcile that because you think, well, if you miss something, you should go back and do it, but not always. It's okay to, to want to miss some things. Like I wouldn't want to go on rugby tour now mm-hmm. sober, but I had some really good fun on rugby tours when I was, when I was drinking. Right. So I think that's what, where they come at it from. It's like, well, won't I miss, won't, won't I miss this when you say you're at a social occasion and, and everyone's drunk? And it's like, yeah, but net, it will probably be better for at least for me, speaking for me, some nights are worse now because I don't drink objectively worse and they won't be as good again. Yes. But overall, the experience is better for me. And you kind of have to give it a bit of time to get perspective on that, both in the moment and generally. But um, I don't like to say that, you know, everything is everything is better without it because it's just sometimes it's not from a social perspective. Sometimes it is more difficult. Like it would be a lot easier to go to a wedding and have like three pints when you, if you don't know anyone there. <laughs> like that is it, like, uh-huh. that's just the truth. That's And that's completely fair. A good mate of mine said to me recently, you know, everything's a trade-off. Yeah. Everything in life. Everything is a trade-off. So when you're looking down the barrel of sobriety and you've just come off the back of the World Cup loss and your rugby mates are all hungover and you decide you're not drinking, there's absolutely a trade-off that you had to play Mm -hmm. for your sobriety. And it it was, well, I'm not going to have the fun attached to the alcohol experience yeah. because I can't have the alcohol experience anymore. That's your trade-off. But in the long term, I would argue that in the last three years, you're a better version of Alex because you're not drinking. That, and yeah. so while you might not have had some of those epic DNMs, I don't know what guys in a rugby club do where they get drunk together, but I know what you're saying. Like there's this almost like romantic side of alcohol sometimes, which is you can feel euphoric. Yeah, sure. You can do the running man. Like it, there are, it gives you some sort of weird special skills sometimes. That was exactly what we did at the rugby club. It was and mostly just doing the running man after we'd have a few pints. So the running know, man. Yeah. How did I know that? <laughs> So I, yeah, you're going to, I don't want to say miss out, but you're trading that off and it's a conscious trade-off. And I think it's good to know up front, like when you're looking down sobriety, and I think a lot of people that come to this podcast space are sober curious Mm -hmm. and they have these big question marks around like, am I going to die (laughs) if I stop drinking, which was a genuine fear Mm -hmm. of mine, Um, or Will I be outcast from society completely? You know, all of those big, big questions. I think we're giving people some really genuine answers here. And so for you, how then do you navigate the next social occasion? Like, are you still quite social? Do you still hang out with the boys and not drink? How do you how do you kind of get around that in sobriety? Yeah, that's really good. So uh, if you look at the rugby club, right, as an example, really my club particularly – very, very like supportive, specifically of me, my mates there. I mean, at, at a rugby club, like any kind of club, there's social currencies that exist, and one of them is being good on the pitch. One of them being is being good in the bar. Rugby probably heavily weights the social currency of alcohol more than maybe other sports. It's almost intrinsic to what it does. 
I do think that I benefited from the fact that I had already been in the club for 10 years once I quit. You know, if I was new to a, a club and space, it would be very difficult, if I'm honest, like just to sort of get that kind of kudos really from it, which is problematic in its own way. But in terms of how I navigate it now, I just kind of, I, I'm, I'm really, some people can get quite upset when people push on why someone doesn't drink. I understand that where who I am within society as kind of early 30s, rugby like kind of lad which I don't wish I could take back that phrasing but that's probably how I'm perceived like is sure people okay. are more surprised when you it could be worse no, that's true. it could be worse things you could that's say true. no it's just the connotations with that but I suppose what, what I mean by that yeah, is people okay. if people perceive me as that then when you don't drink there are more questions I think asked of than, than maybe other people is it the people are more surprised I think when I say that I don't drink maybe than other people I don't mind it when people ask if, uh, like, why I don't drink and kind of push me on it because I just am honest and I just kind of talk about it like I'll talk about this, talk about it here. So, mm-hmm. but in terms of how I navigate it, I just, I don't know, I don't really do anything particular. I, I think I just go along with it. I probably just leave earlier is <laughs> it's, it's one of the, the main things. Yeah. I, I think after a certain point, a night out just comes a bit boring than, than it did do prior. Um, so those type of things are just opted out of as opposed to anything else but I still try and do as much as possible my mates might disagree with that probably say I don't come to enough stuff but I still think that um it is a it I, I still try to do it as much as I did before it's just that this time I leave earlier I'm a bit more coherent throughout the night yeah a bit more a lot more yeah. hopefully a lot more coherent <laughs> Um, it's interesting what you say, like with that self description, and that isn't, you know, that doesn't usually go hand in hand with, like, you're not the poster boy for sobriety at this no, stage, really not, right? No. Like in 2022, when I think a lot of people think about sober curiosity, and maybe it is also a part of like who we socialize with and and what our stories are. Because for me, it's the drunk mum. It's like I, I, if I am looking at people who are going questioning their relationship with alcohol. It's um, high-functioning, busy mums, mm. and, but I'm around a lot yeah. of them. Do you know what I mean? So so for you, maybe you do feel a bit displaced being the sober guy in that circle. And so my question on that is, did you feel lonely when you decided to become sober? Because I, I do think a big question and a big fear for people is like, I'm going to lose all my mates. Like all my mates are going to just abandon me and I'm going to be really lonely and it doesn't sound like that's your story but from an internal perspective did you feel like being sober was a bit of a lonely road for a period of time that's really interesting definitely my friends are very supportive but ultimately it, there's not you could there's only so many people that can relate to it and I didn't do I didn't go down the route of going to say meetings where, where, where and those community spaces which are fantastic for helping people with that exact problem I spent a lot of time on reddit like, yeah which the reddit stop drinking subreddit really yeah, that's where i spend most of my like if, if i'm if i'm thinking about it and i want to get perspectives on it i would go to reddit and look at the stop drinking subreddit and i recommend people to do that too because it's it, like you're saying there in that you've got your specific group that you'll see more regularly and i do too the great thing about that subreddit is it's anybody from in terms of like country mm. Um, in terms of like demographic, in terms of sp- also in terms of severity of problem too, and it's fantastic for helping t- you to get perspective on on 
the entire kind of gamut of alcohol addiction and problematic relationships with alcohol, I'd say. Um, and it's a very, very friendly space too, as, as um, sort of online spaces go. So, but I would agree with the fact that it, well, there was a certain amount of, I'd say with any kind of self, like, like that change like that, it, it has to, it is something that you have to deal with by yourself to a certain degree. Um, but having fewer people around me who have the exact experience or don't understand it fully um, from like a social circle perspective, it does make it more difficult. So yeah, I'd say yes, but also my mates don't press it. They don't, they don't try. I, I'm, I'm lucky that no one tries to change your, your mind on it. Um, and my family too. The thing, the beautiful thing is that no one can change your mind on something because you're the only person that can change your mind on stuff and change your behaviour. You know, as much like I I say, I've said on the podcast before, you can't love somebody out of their problem. You can only love yourself out of a problem. And so as, as much as your friends might try and try and understand what you're going through, it's, it is difficult because they're their own people with their own set of neural pathways and behaviours and decision-making processes. And we're so complex as human beings that there's no way you can, you know, force your thoughts or behaviours onto another another person. In saying that, though, we do mirror each other a lot and that's why, you know, like people who love rugby hang out with people who love rugby. And and what I wanted to say on the Reddit thread, so that's so interesting. I haven't spoken to someone who found solace in reddit for sobriety um but online we have these really detailed algorithms now that give us these bubbles of everything that we like so you you know if you look up a hashtag then all of a sudden everything in your feed just starts so we live in online i feel it's a really segregated space yeah, now because and stuff like that, right? my tribe is my tribe and my algorithm sends me so far over here and down there but the thing about reddit is it isn't an algorithm necessarily and i don't know a lot about it so you might have to just fill me in but it is it's like it's not filtered in the sense that it's people's stories and and the thread is the thread and the sub thread is the thread is that fair yeah i think one thing about reddit is that it's traditionally seen as something which is a little bit safer from corporate influence in that regard so that, that might be changing because they're trying to go public but there is an algorithmic element to it where it will give you stuff that you might not subscribe to and it does look at what you're looking at and give you more of it but it's very much because it's it's more user-generated content than anything and it's so delineated it's actually probably more delineated into different categories than any other one because they just but you can choose pick and choose as many of them as you want and the thing is with it, it's niche communities at scale. So you can find, if you're into something, you'll be able to find a community for it, good and bad. But you'll be able to find somebody who's doing, who's following that specific hobby that only you have. It's there. Like, it really is there. And there's a lot of other like-minded individuals. So for Stop Drinking, and there's also a lot of other addiction-related support groups on there, um, it's perfect. It's perfect for what it has to do because you don't... It, it's, it's also moderated so it's you you won't get people like which other social medias are not to the same level so you you, you won't get on to, if you're following a hashtag on twitter on it you might get all sorts of people being able to jump in typically doesn't happen mm. on reddit so it's a bit better for that i love that i, I think that's going to be so helpful for people again you know one of the points of this podcast is to just try and like talk about it all and go 
like what's your story where did you find you know I guess the encouragement to keep going sober and there's so because there's so many resources now and I think when I stopped drinking nearly eight years ago there was nothing and that's why I asked about the loneliness thing because when I stopped drinking and it really was like it was I googled am I an alcoholic which was not helpful at all and it turns out I don't think I was but Mm. I definitely wasn't sober yeah um and it was, okay, well, I'm not an alcoholic, so I guess I can't go to AA. I'm, isn't that just yeah, for alcoholics? That's... And I don't feel like I am one. So then I was like, I guess I'll just stop drinking. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was just like, what am I doing? And that first four weeks, like January 2015, I felt really lonely and I didn't feel like I could talk to anyone who would understand all the, like I was, I kept crying and I was like, I'm so emotional. Like people are going to think I'm having a breakdown, but I was having a release. Like I now realize what was going on. It was that, you know, all the complex trauma from my past being that I was suppressing with alcohol, starting to, to lift a little bit. And so I didn't feel like I could, and I had great support in my mum and my boyfriend at the time. Um, who are just such champions for my sobriety. But I, I did feel alone in that I'm like, no one understands me. And I think it's amazing now um, that if people decide to go sober, there's so much understanding. There's, it's, there's such a vocal space for it now. And you can share, I think we're better for our shared experiences. And so your experience on the other side of the world, yeah. Alex, in a completely different world to me, um, can have a different sobriety experience. But us talking about it is normalizing it. Us talking about it is going to help, hopefully, some Reddit nerd now, <laughs> like who can go, I can stay on my Reddit forum and use that as my sobriety Definitely. tool. And I think that that's so, that's really special. That's really cool. So when you mentioned earlier, some people, like some of the lads from the rugby club, maybe in particular, do ask you why you stopped drinking, right? I'm sure that it comes up. Yeah. Um, why? Like, so why, mate? Like, just have a pint, mate. Um, what do you say? Have you got your response yeah, I feel like like it's, articulated to the sentence? It's sort of like a canned response, I think, at this point. That, like I can kind of like pull the string on my back and it comes out, like sort of like, like every time. Yeah. But it, <laughs> To infinity and exactly beyond. <laughs> so I, I just, I just, the way I explain it is that I had a problem I had a problem with alcohol, me personally. And I always try to, I shouldn't probably do as much as I do, but I caveat it with that I'm not judgmental about all temperance, like all, all of that stuff, because I wouldn't have any mates if I did that, truly. <laughs> so, um, yes. but I say that like the way that I saw it was if I was to, if I was to look in my, look at my life in 10 years time, would I be net happier or, or net better off or net worse off um, if I quit drinking or if I stayed drinking? And I came to the conclusion that if over a 10 year period, if I quit drinking, I would be better off than that, which was a decision I was happy to make as a result. And I think that's comes with the idea of with binge drinking in a normalized society where you allow it to happen, you can basically spend 10 years without really ever having to adjust your behavior because you can, you just kind of plod along, uh, having these big nights where you, where, things go wrong but everyone's okay with it and you think all right fine and 
next thing you know, ten, you look back and you think, what's, where have I gone wrong over the last 10 years? You don't necessarily uh, pinpoint alcohol as the cause because you just think, well, that's just what I do. And I think that that can almost be worse in a way um, than, than other forms of it because you can't ever diagnose what the issue is until it's too late or you never do. And I was lucky enough that it was causing that, that the binge drinking for me had such a uh, re- reaction to me, both like in terms of how I felt about it, anxious, even if nothing happened that was bad, I still would feel like it could have been. And that felt because when you have that and you accidentally bring it to the, like if you normalize binge drinking among your mates or a rugby club, then you end up at work and you're like, oh, have I accidentally brought the, uh, the wrong energy to this environment? And uh, that can cause problems and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's about the 10-year thing for me. And usually people are like, and look, for me as well, I've got things I wanted to achieve, um, you know, professionally and personally, which would have been delayed or never achieved had I um, continued to drink. So it's an easy explainer, just the 10-year net, net, net better. It is. It's a great, it's a great sober response and it's really understandable. And I think that that, you know, I do encourage people who, when they stop drinking, I'm like, make sure you can articulate something that works for you, you know, and, and whether it is like, I have an allergy to alcohol or what, like whatever it is, the less words you use, I find the better. (laughs) But that is a really great articulation because it's something that everyone can go, oh, so like you sat down and you looked at your life and you went, where do I want to be in 10 years' time? I want to be here. Well, I can't drink if I want to be there. That's so understandable and so um, accessible to people who are drinking where it might even plant the seed of like, oh, shivers, well, where do I want to be in 10 years' time? People probably, you know, I think – in 2022, long-term goals have kind of gone out the window because yeah, who knows yeah. if the world's going to stop working properly again, you know? Like I think we have this almost hesitation to plan too far forward, but bring back the 10-year goals, absolutely, and bring back where do I want to be at this point in my next decade of life yeah. and and how how am I going to forge forward and get there and let's – cut the fat from the situation and in, in your case that would have been that drinking behavior yeah, and it's worth saying i've got mates who are very successful who when i was saying that to them and they thought about it, they were like no my life would still i truly believe that my life would be better if i continued to drink and i was like cool that's great that is and that's exactly what this great. is and so it doesn't feel like it's a kind of putting it on you to recognize how bad it is because sometimes it's not for everybody and it's all about i you know it's all about i statements and what it is for you that's the, that's the, the key thing to factor in and i will say that I, one thing that i did mention on loneliness stuff was my dad quit drinking probably about six months after me um yeah which was very very helpful for me but also definitely the right decision for him which which i could say which he has to come to the conclusion himself obviously but it was something which i was everyone in my family very supportive of and i think it came off the back of us having this 10-year discussion it was something which i think planted a seed for him where he was thinking uh, okay, actually now as I, you know, look look down a different, completely different stage of his life to me, obviously, but one which he can mm-hmm. almost look back and say, well, the last 10 years, how would I, if I'd, had that, if I'd had that thought 10, 20, 30 years ago, what could have been different or how do I still proceed, you know, at, at 58, when I think it was when he was did that, um, going forward. So 
I do, I will say that having, having those conversations has led to people who I care about making the same decision as me, which is fantastic if it's right for them. Um, and I don't know whether or not it's had a, a positive impact on my friendship group, but it doesn't need to, but whether or not it, it, it has, is still, um, it, it would be, it'd be great if it did, I think, but. I love that because that role reversal of you teaching your dad something is so special and so beautiful. Yeah. Well, I say to my, so I have a three and a half year old Mm -hmm. child. He's just, he's insane uh, because he's my (laughs) child. And I say like uh, my job is to like teach this child and model, you know, great behavior, good decision-making, moral code, all this stuff. But I learned so much from this child about myself cool. and he's he's not meaning to teach me no. but he the way his brain works the way his personality is being shaped teaches me so much patience probably being the number mm. one thing that he's taught me is to be patient um and to stop and smell the roses we go for a walk in the afternoons with our dog and my son stops at every corner and will pick a flower That's and give it me. to me and he stops and smells the roses and he's taught me to slow down. And so as kids, it's not our job to teach our parents, but I just love that that's happened for you in this season of life. And I love that that's happened for your dad because you never sat down and went, I'm going to quit drinking to show my old man, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like what it's like to not drink. Like you made a great choice for yourself that the fruit of that is so evident that your dad's gone, hang on a second, this child of mm. mine. <laughs> who's changed his behavior and had a conversation with himself about his future. Like maybe I can learn from that. And I think that's so cool. And you know, the other thing that I wanted to point out that I really value, which you said, Alex, is you said, when you talk about your sober response, you use a lot of I words. And that is like one of my favorite things that I've recently Mm. learned is that when, because what we do a lot when we're feeling uh, insecure or threatened or um, unsure is we use a lot of you yeah. words and we're like, well, you know, well, why, why are you asking me about my yeah, drinking yeah. issue? And like, what, what does it mean to you if I don't drink alcohol anymore? Or like, what's your problem with alcohol? And I think as a general rule, if we can use more I language, it just softens the conversation because you are talking about yourself. Mm -hmm. And so the I words of like, I had a conversation with me about my future and this is alcohol wasn't working out for me. So I've decided to do these behaviors now. I just think that is so helpful and not just around sobriety, like any married couples out there (laughs) take this Take this as a note (laughs) that using eye language is really going to diffuse tension and, and using you language, I think is actually like a defense mechanism. It is something which certainly exists on the stop drinking subreddit and exists, I think also exists in a lot of kind of alcohol support groups at large, I'd say. Um, And certainly I agree with everything you said there in terms of it being general good advice, especially for, uh, kind of mediation situations and stuff like that but it's also if you're the other thing to bear in mind is that i can actually only speak about it from what i for what worked for me so 
like when I quit drinking, I had a specific thing that I followed that won't necessarily won't work for everybody. Like it just won't. It might work in some way for some people, but I can only speak yeah. about my experience because that is the only one I can speak about, like fundamentally. So it it also means that you don't end up projecting um, a lot of stuff onto people, and that you that you say like, here's what worked for me. Take it or leave it. You know, it is something which you can incorporate in, fold it into your routine, see how it works. Like I like because one of the things which I've done since quitting drinking was um, set up an app to help people track days they don't drink for called reward days. And part of that was based off of how I, what works for me when I first quit drinking, which was to track days, give myself rewards after X number of milestones, which is the basis of the app. And Great. Yeah, but it works with like, if after a week you quit, you get say 10% off uh, alcohol free beer, whatever it is. But with, for me, when I was just doing it myself before we made the app was, just um i'll buy myself like a new pair of trainers after 30 days or after six months and i just yeah, had it totally. in like a note. um now that might work for some people but it also might not work for everyone else so it is just about trying to find things that work for you specifically and that's another helpful tool in that sobriety toolkit right mm. so if yeah if tallying the days or working towards small rewards if that works for you and I think we do that with fitness all the time yeah, we're like a really good example I'm going to do a fitness challenge and we give ourselves a reward at the end of it or we're going to do you know like something to do with our food or we do it all the time in different you know expressions of life sobriety I think is no different you've got to figure out what works for you if that tool works for you then absolutely mm-hmm. that you know there's a space for it and and go for it and then if it doesn't that's okay yes. too because there's so many other things that you can do. But I, I used, you know, I think uh, as I was um, – you say you slept walking to drinking. I slept walking to sobriety. I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I I did remember thinking after I hadn't drunk for two months, I looked at my bank account and I was like, holy smokes. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, did I get paid extra money this month from my job? And then I worked out how much money I was spending on booze a month and it was like made me feel mm-hmm. sick. And I was like, well – I could save it or I could go yeah, and buy something exactly. special. And I think I did a bit of both. I think I saved a little bit. I put, and then I ended up putting a bit of money away every month that year. And at the end of the year, I went on an epic holiday to Thailand. So cool. Like as, and like not on a credit card, yeah, like yeah. all in my savings account and all money that I, I literally would have pissed up a wall if I, had of kept drinking so and I'm not like a money driven person but I love holidays yeah. and so for me that was a nice little thing in the background in my in my sobriety toolkit that I was like keeping me on that path going but look at all this money you're saving look at your savings account look at those things that you can treat yourself to now because you're not doing those behaviors that are costing so expensive. it's a huge part of it like it is a huge part of it it is a big part I, mean, I quit smoking at the same it's time i quit part. drinking because i and i became more of a social smoker at the end of the time i was drinking anyway but it was all of those sort of extra costs that you don't think about like oh well, i'm gonna buy a whole 20 pack of cigarettes because i'm going for going for a night out which is then an extra yeah. probably like 20 quid now whatever it is um probably silly money so it's so many extra costs yeah. that just add up before you know it you've got so much savings it's a tough one to sort of like i i, I don't tend to think about that actually as, as much as, as as a um kind of steer so certainly when i talk about that it when people ask me i don't tend to 
not something I sort of talk about as a one of the bonuses, but it's certainly up there. I think it's because for me it was all about just physical and mental health. Like the physical health stuff you're talking about there was like uh, in terms of exercise and giving rewards was something which massively I massively benefited from 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 quitting booze just because you got so much time <laughs> as well. Like the amount of time you have is so like, much time. time is was way more of a factor for me than the money. As much as just like ah, oh, yeah. I've just got so much time to do stuff and like you know, whether that's run or you know work on projects like it's just it that's the thing which i was most grateful for i think was was the fact that oh my goodness how much time i have is crazy well you've had time to build an app that's so. true i wish i could say i did all of that that was also uh, there's a very very skilled app developer i work with who was who was doing that but i did have to I, I worked with him on it over the last year yeah i've spoken to so many people on this podcast and alex it continues to blow my mind just how different your story is. And we're in the same space as in we've both decided alcohol's not our friend, we're not going to do the drinking thing. You're on the other side of the world in a completely different setup in life than I am. And and the commonality is sobriety. But that's it. Like everything of your story is so fresh and different and interesting and unique to you. And so I really appreciate you sticking up your hand going, hey, I've got some I've got some stuff to share about how this is working out for me and and by all reports it seems to be working out really well and I would love to in seven years from today have another chat with you because that will be your 10 years from when you quit drinking which was the the motivation behind it and to see whereabouts you're up to with that whole thing that that spearheaded this sobriety movement for you I love it yeah and hopefully England have won a couple of world cups in that time too which we can use as a day Look, miracles can happen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for the for the chat. Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.